Welcome to The Money Huddle, a podcast that discusses financial topics for families, retirees, and small business owners. Hosted by Michael Baker and Ross Marinell. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ross or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and may not reflect the opinions of Advisory Alpha. The podcast recording is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Advisory Alpha may maintain positions and securities discussed on the program. Well, all right. Welcome back to the Money Huddle. My name is Michael Baker, and I'm here with Vacation Nation, the man himself, Ross Marinell. Ross, how you doing, buddy? Hey, it's good to see you, Michael. Great to be here. Yeah, Vacation Nation. You know, it's been Inflation Nation. And yes. we've talked enough about inflation the last few episodes. It's time to start talking about vacation. Because is it? We're, oh, yes. One, is the Marino household is about to take a short little trip this weekend okay. to get away to the beach. So it's vacation nice. nation in our house. But also, I think this is the year we're going to see folks get outdoors back out on vacation in mass. Yeah. And I can't imagine okay. what the lines will be like at Disneyland and some of the major uh, attractions this year. You know, I, I didn't think about that. I, I do think, I mean, I... I I think that a lot of people kind of did their own thing last year, personally, during the summertime and did on a lot of trips. But I would imagine, I would imagine, especially with what we've been seeing with a lot of the restrictions being lifted, that people are ready to go. You know? I agree. I think internationally, too, we're seeing a lot of European countries just lift mm-hmm. all COVID restrictions. So if people can travel, fly in and out of countries without being uh, potentially quarantined, I think we're going to see a lot more activity back to a lot of those countries. So, and you know, look, I mean, maybe everyone takes their electric vehicle there. Sure. Are we all going to drive EVs to our vacation destinations this year? I don't know. But if you watch the Super Bowl, there was uh-huh. actually another contest instead of it just being the Rams and the Bengals. There was a there was another contest played out with the commercials, and that was um, electric vehicles versus crypto. And who do you think who do you think won that battle? Uh, electric vehicles, hands down. The, I, I counted six or seven EV commercials. Yeah, it was a lot en- enough. Like, yeah. let's pump the brakes a little bit. Well, the, the the interesting thing too, a lot of these cars won't even be available this year. Um, it's just oh, kind know. of forecasting what's coming. And obviously, the shift to EV is on. It's going to come full force now from all the major auto manufacturers. Look like they're getting in the game. General Motors, BMW, Kia. We already know Volkswagen is there, um, and of course Tesla. So Tesla's going to have some some heated competition, and it's it's on. So mm-hmm. now the EV game is on. I think, you know, for me, one of the commercials that stood out to me the most was as I was watching it, my inner monologue was like, wait a minute, is this another electric truck? And so, you know, we've got Ford has announced they're doing the lightning and now Chevy, of course, right. They, they can't let Ford have a vehicle that they can't compete with. And so now Chevy's got a, um, electric vehicle, electric truck that they have, as well, man, these things look amazing. They look they, amazing. I, oh, I hate this. I hate to think what they're going to cost people, but they look amazing. I don't know if I'm ready to spend seventy or eighty or ninety thousand dollars on an electric vehicle truck, but <laughs> you, the market is going to be. You don't want a fifteen year car note. They are getting longer. <laughs> that's, what, getting that's what it's going to take to finance these things. Oh, I'll take the fifteen year option. I, I will say real quick though, seeing Meadow Soprano driving that Silverado. A- 
Come on, that that, yeah. that had to get pique your interest a little bit. That was that was cool. probably my favorite of the EV commercials. But on a side note, what are, what are these celebrities doing representing crypto companies? Like, just stop the 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 crypto exchanges. The I, I just don't understand the attraction that celebrities have to hawk hawk these exchanges and products. Oh. Listen, I can tell you, I mean, as we were watching, you know, as I was watching the Super Bowl, it, it never fails every year. And, and this is what I'll tell you straight up. It's money, bro. That's all it is. You know, when you when you are famous, um, when you are famous, you have a very for most people, not all. I mean, there's the, the super celebrities that are like perpetually famous, but um, you have like this finite window of time that you can make just ridiculous. Ridiculous amounts of money where people will pay you to show up to clubs. People will come, you know, pay you to come and since, you know, give a 10 minute keynote at a conference, um, shake hands, take pictures. They will pay you a ridiculous amount of money to show your face in a Super Bowl ad. And you got to cash in. And that's 100% what that is. I I fully believe, um, you know, and I say this like from, you know, my time out there the the weirdest paradox for me to understand was the minute that you're famous enough and wealthy enough to afford all the, like the things that you could that you could possibly want people start giving you those things just so right. that you you know the designers give you clothes you know auto manufacturers give you cars you know it's ridiculous just so well now Matt Damon's trying to get you. us to to buy crypto so uh, I'll take a yeah. pass. Um, thank yeah, you very much, but pass. no, stick, stick to your <laughs> acting career. I will that. take investment advice somewhere else. So, all right, 100%. Michael, um, great Super Bowl. Happy for Matthew Stafford. Um, I thought Joe Burrow played great. Sorry for my Cincinnati friends and family. Oh, my gosh. But It was a great um, game. It was I mean, entertaining. It was, I'm glad. It was tough. It was a tough so, game to watch for about a quarter and a half because there was a defensive struggle. But, hey, that's what it was. It got a little dry, but it picked up in the end. So, all right, Michael, what we got on tap today? All right, so I want to you know start out with um, with Walmart. You know, leading it's going to be buried today. Um, it'll be buried because the the news headlines today, as we're recording this, is you know possibly renewed tensions over there at the Russia Ukrainian border. Um, there's you know disagreements between the leaders about who's doing what. It 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 feels like two children fighting, and you know they come to mom and dad and. You know, mom and dad didn't see what happened, and the other one keeps telling you, "No, it wasn't me; it was them," and 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 vice versa. So that's going to dominate headlines today. But Walmart came out and um, had a pretty nice fourth quarter, not mm-hmm. eye popping, but pretty nice fourth quarter. But um, I went through their slide deck that they released, and for fiscal year for their um, their adjusted EPS for twenty twenty two was right at seventeen point nine percent which is pretty solid. But the one thing that came out and jumped out at me, and I know we've already talked about this, so I know it, it'll kind of dovetail into something you wanted to discuss, was one of the things they pointed out was that um, Walmart, we know they have thousands and thousands of stores, I think, but they have approximately 4,600 locations that are now doing pickup services where mm-hmm. you can order on the app or order online and go right to the store pick it up. So for those people who are just not wanting to be in a Walmart for whatever reason, you can like go right in, pick up your goods and then leave. And then they also had, it said greater than 3,500 stores or locations that are now doing same day delivery. So we are becoming like, we want like truly 
instantaneous shoppers. It's not only about who can deliver, you know, who, who has the goods and provide a seamless platform for you to purchase things, but who can get them to you the fastest. I think delivery is the future for shopping. One, maybe, maybe people don't want to be in the, the grocery store um, any longer, whether that's COVID related or just time related. Um, it's a lot, you know, my wife has been shopping online for two years now. Yeah. Uh, whether it's pickup or delivery, I think this is the future. I think the businesses like Walmart and even Amazon through the Whole Foods um, chain, they have the footprint mm-hmm. to do this without building a new infrastructure, without um, having the CapEx expense that some other businesses may need to support to support the delivery. Now, look, there's inefficiencies right now. I mean, if you do, if you're ordering food from from Walmart, they may deliver three times one item. I mean, it's not it's not efficient process yet, right. but they will obviously get better at that. Um, I think too, as inflation pick, picks up and continues to hit food prices, people are going to be more willing to shop for deals. And if you can find something on Amazon, that's $4 less than going to the main, the local grocer, you're going to do it because if, if they'll deliver it the next day, what's the difference? I think people will be on the hunt to save costs on food and other items that they might pick up from the grocery store more than um, in the past. And also, there's a price difference now. So I, 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 maybe that it has always been that way, and I've just not noticed it, but I'm seeing a, a, a greater um, distinction between some of the pricing at a local grocery versus one of these online delivery services, whether it's Whole Foods or Walmart. So um, the one thing I'll say about, about Walmart and some other businesses, as we're seeing inflation you know, at 40-year highs, the businesses that have true pricing power may power through this next period a little better. So I'm thinking about the Walmarts of the world, the McDonald's, the Starbucks, the the businesses that can tweak prices up 5 10% and not send their customers out the door or keep people from coming. And they, I think Walmart is one of those businesses that has pricing advantages and pricing power. And we're starting to see it in some of their results and in their earnings growth. I think so too. You know, this is one of those things where you, you hate to see. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of local businesses and mom and pop businesses. I don't want to see them swallowed up by, you know, these mega retailers like Walmart. However, this this is the kind of environment that we're in. And, you know, Walmart's obviously poised to, you know, be able to flex a little bit right now. But I will say one of the things to me, just as a consumer, I'd be interesting to see how people price convenience because I can tell you, we at, at the Baker household, we pretty much are completely converted to Target pickup. Like I don't go into a Target for hardly anything. You know what I mean? It's like I go on the app. I'm like, here's what I want. Click, 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 and then I tell them to come get it, and I and I come pick it up. And and slowly but surely, like at least at our local Target here that we go to slowly those those pickup lanes are expanding they're getting more and more and more lanes there where um that to me seems like it might be the future of shopping for a lot of things now you know if, what what would be interesting and the thought i actually had about walmart was you know walmart is typically the you know everyday low prices low price leader whatever their slogan, slogan is you know falling prices i can't remember um rollback rollback okay rollback prices but it would be really interesting if Walmart kind of started doing what Target did. And, and maybe they do, and I'm just not familiar, but Target started creating like these little 
um, mini partnerships with like name brand or designers for their clothing where they, they might have like, I know I, I remember specifically they did like a, a Lily Pulitzer collection. It wasn't Lily Pulitzer, but it was kind of a partnership and that stuff like was gone in like the, the first day it hit the shelves, like the next day it was gone. And to me, I see there potentially an opportunity here for somebody like Walmart to say, Hey, if you want distribution, you know, to have some of these things to give consumers a little, a little spark and a little way to see Walmart maybe in a different light. Um, I don't know, but just interesting to watch well, those numbers I, come out. I, I would say as far as uh, paying for convenience, nothing illustrates that more than DoorDash. Because DoorDash had a strong quarterly earnings report as well. Now, I have the not stooped to the laziness level of not being able to pick up my own food yet. And I'm ref- pretty much refused <laughs> to pay DoorDash come six or eight to bucks the, to drive to the dark home. side. I have not dialed it yet. I, I, you know, but there is a marketplace for it and their earnings are growing. You know, well, their revenue was growing. So it's obviously something that's attractive to people that they don't want to go out and get food. So um, I haven't gotten that to that level yet. Uh, the delivery is the future. There is no doubt about it. And it's the recurring um, order too. So, you know, if you go through Amazon, it's like, all right, how they're, they're basically learning your buying habits. And right. there, it will come a time where they are delivering the food to your door without you requesting it because they know that you're consuming it at a certain pace. That's that's integrating, and it'll be. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't order these chocolate chip cookies. Well, sir, it's like, oh, we know that you wanted them. We, we know that you're due, and you're like, actually, you're right. I was really wanting these all <laughs> along. <laughs> so just remember, you know, the yeah. businesses that can get product that can fill their shelves mm. that have pricing power when we're in this inflation and supply chain issue, or you know, could potentially thrive. Of course, we don't make stock recommendations yeah. on this podcast, um, but we're also seeing areas where the prices are are throttling through the roof, but if you can't get the material, what you can't book, you can't get paid. And I'm thinking about um, some of the construction companies remodeling businesses. I was talking to uh, an owner of a renovation company here locally, and yeah, you can sell all the jobs, um, you know, in the in the city, but if you can't get the material, you can't finish the job and get paid. Right. And so they're doing all this front end sales work right now, quoting, ordering material, waiting weeks and weeks and weeks if not just truly months yeah. to get cabinets in and to get, um, you know, bathroom materials in and you're just sitting there. Yeah. You just have all the sales where you can't complete the job and get paid. So that's, that's becoming a challenge. That's really tough. All right. Well, I, I feel like we, we have to do at least a quick, a quick bit on the federal reserve because you, know, they just dominate the headlines. At least this week, the, the minutes came out, I thought they were just a big nothing burger. I mean, it seems to be consensus across the board. There was nothing really material in there, which everyone's trying to figure out, is the Fed going to raise 25 basis points or 50 basis points in March? They did not tip their hand, at least in those minutes, um, which those minutes were done before the latest inflation numbers came out. So not really much there to report uh, other than just, you know, we're still kind of in that, in my favorite type of uh, market environment, where everyone's just waiting to see what the Fed's going to do, what are your what are your quick thoughts on that? They're letting the narrative do the work for them. Yeah, they haven't had to raise rates yet. The market's priced it in. You're seeing ten-year Treasury rates increase. Just over, I looked yesterday, had eclipsed two percent for the first time in a long time. You got to think during the lows of the the COVID, you know, pandemic, we were right. what sixty basis points 
on a ten-year yeah. treasury. Point. There's already there's five. already room for them to to move the rates up, and in fact, there are a lot of people, a lot of people that feel like they are behind the curve on on getting you know getting off of zero. So nothing to, nothing really but behind to report the curve. There. Is a, that's a pleasant way to say completely miscalculated the last year at least. Um, so yeah, I, but I do think that they don't. Other than put the news out there and stand by yeah. behind the narrative, they haven't had to do a lot yet to have the effect that they probably want, which is to slow things down, increase rates a little bit. You're seeing the tenure already do that. We'll see what their next step is. But yeah. I think until then, we probably can, hopefully we can park the Fed for for an episode or two. All right. So you had some news about um, South Carolina Oh, look, I'm already there. smiling. Why, why am I okay. smiling? So I thought I saw this come through uh, the AP. This was um, the headline. Booming economy leads South Carolina governor and house to bigger tax cuts. So the proposal would cut the state's highest tax bracket. So this is 1.1 million people of the 2.6 million people in South Carolina pay from 7% down to 6.5% immediately. So we're talking about South Carolina state income tax with plans to continue the cut uh, down to 6%. So that's good news. We've had a strong booming economy and we've had a number, I mean, let's say a big influx of people coming to this state because right. of low taxes, because of good public schools, mm-hmm. uh, low crime, good a- access to jobs through not only South Carolina, but also the Charlotte market. And of course, you know, we are competing with other states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee uh, for those, you know, blue state transplants. And so those, those three states I just mentioned have no state income tax. So I think it's smart to bring ours down a little bit. Um, they are a wash in money right now. We know that's a lot of times temporary and it could change. And so we don't want to go too far, but I think this is a nice step to give, give a little um, incentive back to those income earners in the state. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, this is one way that states, especially, can look to make themselves more economically attractive, um, not just for um, companies, but people that want to relocate. And, and, and especially in this environment, which we've talked about before, where you may or may not be tethered locally to where you work. If you have the ability to work remote, like you may be able to work somewhere, um, but work from home. And so that, that if that trend continues, which it definitely appears that workers want that trend to continue, that state income taxes are going to be kind of a big deal because now you might be able to attract people moving to your state that want to work remotely because of some of the other things your state offers. And, you know, and I'm biased, I'm from South Carolina, but, you know, we've got mountains in South Carolina, we've got beach, we've got, you know, a a great state, the climate is pretty good, except um, in in the summertime where it's sweltering, but you know, these are the prices you pay when, for, when you live in the South. So I think it's awesome. And so this is a proposal, right? This is a proposal that was set up proposed. in the... Yeah. Okay. Now, I, you made a good point there. I think in the past, a lot of the um, it, you know influx of people were probably more in the retirement age range coming to join their families that were already here, their, their children, grandchildren. You know, grandchildren are the best magnet in the world. So, you know, if, they're, if their sons or daughters were in this area working, a lot of people would move. It's a good retirement destination. But I think you're right. What's happening now is we're attracting that that working class that may be working from home or working remotely, and we do need to do something to keep those those people attracted to this area. Yeah, especially if they can 
move other places. So, uh, well, let's 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 hope uh, that that gets through because you know, obviously, our our office is our main office is in South Carolina. We have a lot of people that live in South Carolina that that we serve and that would love to have a little state income tax cut or a little ta- tax relief. But you know, the other thing too is. We, we're very tethered to North Carolina and South Carolina gets a little too competitive. This may put pressure on North Carolina to do the same, which would benefit our North Carolina folks. So um, let's we hope it gets see. through. All right, cool. What's next? You were telling me about um, something you saw as far as group life insurance claims rising up in the, in the age of COVID this and just wanted is, to get you to elaborate that on, on that. On I thought podcast. this was startling statistics. So this was the headline COVID-19 driving group life deaths past the 200 year event level. So this was the CEO of one America, Jay Scott Davison said last week, he was talking to the Indiana chamber of commerce. So the death rate of people ages 18 through 64 is now 40% higher than normal and well above what the life insurer had believed to be the one in 200 year event level. I'll continue just one more moment. So Primerica, who's one of the larger term life issuers in the country, said it paid $2.1 billion in term life death claims in 2021, up from $1.4 billion in 2019. So you're talking 700 million more paid out in claims. And, you know, there's a number of reasons why, and it would be hard for us to pinpoint what, but you're talking about that working class cohort, 18 to 64. So could that be increased drug and alcohol deaths? Could it be COVID-19 related deaths? Could it be, you know, there's a number of things that it, that could be causing that. But what's happening is that's also putting pressure on these term life insurers to pay claims on time. There was a story out of the city wire. They have a new editor. Her name was Laura Perkis. And she was relating the story of her dad's life insurance. So her dad passed away and the life insurer at the point of seven months, had still not paid the claim. Wow. So we're seeing it's a startling increase in the number of the insurance company. Um, well, so that's part of the challenge. And one of the things that we wanted to kind of talk about from a planning perspective is having a central document vault, whatever it is, with all of these related policies, because it is hard to track down who the insurer was if you don't know. A lot of times mm-hmm. someone passes and we don't know. We know they had insurance, but who was it? Who was the provider? Was it a group life policy? Was it a, a personal policy? Um to, to start that claims process, you need to know where to look. And so one of the challenges in that situation was not knowing who the actual claim should be processed through. So first you got to find the policy who, you know, who's the carrier submit the claim. You got to provide all the documentation and get the, get all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And of course you're in an emotional state that you're not prepared to do paperwork. You you just lost a loved one. You're not, your, your mind is somewhere else. You're not thinking about you know, how efficiently can I get these forms? But the reality is a lot of people will need that money and need it quickly because, you know, if they're not, if they haven't saved to the point where you can cover short-term income gaps, the life insurance may be the thing that helps pay for a funeral that helps, right. you know, the, the next two to three months of living while everything else settles, especially if there's probate and other things that could delay six, eight months. So what are your thoughts on that? Is that, um, eye-opening or what 
It is. It is interesting. One for sure. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, group, group claims are going to be, you know, looking at a specific segment of the population, but the, 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 you know, it definitely appears that it's an outlier, which of course we, we are on year two, maybe year three, depending on how you you're counting chickens, um, for the pandemic. So it's, it's understandable that some of these numbers are going to um, be a little distorted, I would think. However, from, I want to address what you said as a planning issue. And this is a big thing because I have, um, you know, we have together, done this. I have personally now done this multiple times in the last six months where I'm going through the process of helping somebody organize and settle an estate, either from a parent who had passed away or, you know, even unfortunately like a spouse who's passed away. And I can tell you that is an administrative process. And so I can't encourage people, you know, I can't encourage you enough to get your estate plan in order um, if, if you've had, you know, if you did wills and things like that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, go get them looked at again, go get them refreshed, make sure you have uh, property and assets titled correctly. Make sure you know where all your insurance policies are. Make sure your beneficiaries are labeled appropriately and correctly, because I can't tell you how many times like I'm looking at an old 401k and I'll see an, an ex spouse or um, somebody who have their mom and, you know, they've been, you know, as a beneficiary on an old 401k from a job 20 years ago, but they're married and they've got kids. I mean, so life happens and, and that's why we just continually need to do our own housekeeping. And especially when it comes to the insurance itself, insurance claims can, can be, they're not always, but they can be a burdensome process. Some companies, I mean, you, you show them a claim ticket and then get a check to you almost immediately, but that's not the norm in my experience. My experience is it takes a couple weeks to just go through that process, send the paperwork in, give them the death certificate. Do they want a copy or do they want an original? Well, if they want to, you know, if they want to, you know, anything like that, you know, it, it takes time. So you need to think through how you're going to cover those bills or expenses in short term, short term income. So I guess my biggest thought is, is like, don't take estate planning lightly. Let's make sure that we have that buttoned up. We're not trying to, you know, give the universe permission to take anyone out of here. But at the same time, we don't want the people that we love to be dealing with a total mess if something were to happen to us. You know. All right. Good point. What's up next? All right. So I figure we can, we can probably end on this. Um, I know that you've been having meetings this week and, and I have as well. A lot of people asking about uh, market volatility, wanting to know what is going on in the world. You know, has the world gone crazy? W- what do we think is going to happen next? You know, all the questions that tend to really bubble to the surface, especially in an environment where it feels like there are, you know, nothing but red flags waving day after day. So there was an article written in, and it's actually a couple weeks old, but it's called the price of admission in stocks by uh, Charlie Bellello. And I'll make sure we have a link to the article on the, on the website, on the podcast, but I loved it because he breaks down, you know, all these different things. And, and it, it's really kind of a psychological thing about what we anchor to. And if you notice um, he, he starts out with all these major economic events, like the stock market crash, you know, Black Monday, the dot-com bubble, um, the, the financial crisis, and then, you know, most recently, the pandemic crash that we had in 2020. 
And what's funny is that's when you read headlines, I, I, I found myself doing this too. When you read these negative headlines, they'll like, oh, market hasn't done this since. And they will always anchor it to like this horrific event um, to really get everyone's um, blood pressure pumping. And, um, you know, there's a lot that he covers in this article, but what's, what's funny is he shows, you know, the historical trend line, which if you follow markets and investing, you know, the, the chart that is used over and over and over again is the long view, right? The chart that just goes up Up and to the right, up and to the right. And, and we all know that, but the battle is constantly with our emotions. And so we've talked about this in the past couple of weeks is how, you know, for the last six months, we've been in kind of this sideways churn in the markets. We're a little bit down, but it's, you know, it's been, it feels like the markets are starting to try and normalize themselves after we, after we had that ridiculous run up uh, recovery run up after 2020 and the fed pumping for a, a period of time, it felt like, Oh, you know, just pop the champagne. Things are good. Life is good. Yeah. Um, markets going up. 401k balances look really robust and healthy. And now all of a sudden, you know, people are wanting to know like who broke the market. So I love this article and it, it broke down. And there's one chart specifically that, that I'll make sure is up for the viewers. It's just he shows S&P corrections that are greater than 5% since March 2009. And it's a stunning list. It's just, just over the last decade, it's a, it's a list. It's like this long of how many moves that the market has. But you know, we, when the market just kind of doesn't give us a lot of volatility for a while, for whatever the reason, investors, a lot of times can be lulled into sleep. And the whole point of the article is that this is the price of admission when you invest, right? It, volatility is the reason that we are allowed to expect higher returns over time is because of the volatility. Because um, we know what risk-free money is paying right now. It's paying nothing. It's paying nothing. Risk-free money is paying nothing. Um, and I know that that doesn't make people that are a little nervous right now maybe comfortable, but the way I'll tie it into planning is this. One of the things that we always are trying to do as planners is we're trying to make sure we have your time horizon correct because i don't know about you ross and, and you answer me this but i get asked all the time about you know someone will come up to me and say hey what i just got this money what should i do and i'm like well well tell me what you want to do with it and they're like well i want to invest and i'm thinking you know i could put it into something but you know um my kids are like 10 and i'm gonna need braces and like you know probably another year or so so i don't know i mean what do you think and i'm like well is the time horizon a year is it two years? Because if, if that's it, then you just need to keep it in cash. And then they look at me weird, you know, but what about you? I mean, do you find people struggling sometimes with time horizon and, and what they should do with their investments? So it's, that's a great question. I will say a couple things too, just about the market volatility and, and so the movements that just naturally occur in mm -hmm. stock market. Yeah. I think if you left and went to Mars on February, 2020, and you came back on June, 2020, you may not even know what happened. You, know, Very true. you may not have realized that it, there was a 35% drawdown over 22 or 23 trading days and then a very, very swift recovery back. I think um, it's very easy to look um, too frequently at our account balances and what's happening in the market when we're long-term investors. So we're long-term investors, we're short-term viewers. Right. So we're looking every day, but really we're looking, we may have a 10 or 20 or a 30 year time horizon. Um, you know, 
so so I think that's a challenge. It's and the reason we look is because it's in our face because we talk about it. It's just like why do we talk about politics? Because it's on TV every day. I mean, and I think the same way about about the market movements. You know, there's a lot of incentives for people um, who run TV shows and sell newspapers and and, and financial um, you know magazines to want to have that be top of mind for us. When it comes to um, the the life changes that may put money in our in our hands. So maybe it's an inheritance, maybe it's a rollover from a job or something, you know, that just instantly kind of comes, you know, we fall back to the hierarchy, the hierarchy of savings. And so we create a pyramid for our clients and we look at where does the money need to go? And we start at the bottom, right? So that may be just your emergency fund, your savings. What do you have to have to be comfortable to, to not fall into debt in the event of a short-term income change, right? So a job loss, a job, whatever that might be. And then you move to the next layer and the next layer and the layer above that. And once we have those buckets filled, then you look for all the alternatives, right? So maybe it starts with the emergency savings. It goes to your tax preferred investment account. So whether that's an IRA or a Roth, what based on your tax bracket, what, where to go. And you just keep working up the list. And it depends where you are on that on those rungs, right? As mm-hmm. to what you should do with that money. A lot of times it probably should be just saved. And they're available for those short-term income needs. But if those are covered, then no, you go to the next level and you keep you know, building it up to the point that you're ready to be an investor and ready to be a long-term investor. So I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I agree, I agree with that. And I think that one of the things that we just have to continue to stress, even though in times, these are the times that, and really let's be, let's be realistic. It's, you know, I'm not saying there, there still could be more, you know, more movement to the downside before, you know, things kind of find their, their true support. But if you're, if your investment time horizon is the next 25 years, you know, the worst thing you could be doing to yourself on a day-to-day basis is turning on whatever your favorite financial app is and like checking a balance. And I know people do this and I know that it's really hard to not do it. But at the same time, it's like you give yourself no peace. And I think that um, that's that's one of the biggest challenges that investors have is to actually find ways to protect themselves from themselves, you know, is is not getting on there and listening in every day and like what's going to happen and and trying to, you know, predict because, you know, I don't know about you, but in the last decade, there's been, I don't know how many times where we thought the market was going to do one thing and it did something completely different. I would, I I would, the comment I would add to the behavioral aspect of what you read and what you watch and how frequently is really just knowing what your own biases and reaction is to it. So in some cases, you know, we're, we're very fortunate, right? We were able to represent a lot of what I would call sort of Spartans. I mean, really just resilient, tough, strong invest investment, um, professional people. And, and so if you, if you look at it and you see it moving, it doesn't bother you. Okay. Don't worry about it. Watch can consume all you want, be as informed and, and as close to it as you really want to. But if you know that it, that drives you over the edge or it makes you anxious or nervous, then right. maybe you should just limit yourself to say, okay, I'm going to be informed. I'm going to look at my statements as they come monthly or quarterly, but I'm not going to get too much into the minutia of what's happening day by day. Cause it affects me. You know, we are we are um, built for it because we look at it every day for the last however many years, you know, over a decade. So it, it doesn't get me anxious. But if it does, you got to take 
that into account and do something different to keep yourself committed to your long-term strategy. So I think it's really individual because some people probably look at it and don't care. It doesn't bother yeah. them. They just go, ah, that's what happens. And that's the price of admission, like your title said. And then some people go, oh my God, but I was here yesterday and right. I was, my account was this high five days ago. And for those folks, one of the things that I always encourage people to do starting as soon as you can is just calculate a net worth benefit every year. Just go through the process with yourself and your spouse and just calculate where you are financially today and use that as a good barometer. Because a lot of times we will go through these 10 or 15 or 20% drawdowns and it's painful in the moment. And then you look back a year, a year ago and go, well, that's where I was a year ago. Right. And then you go back, well, sh that's where I was five years ago. Holy cow. Look how far we've come in our financial savings and wealth building. The smaller movements that happen all as frequently as you said, like Charlie Bolello identified, you know, in the last decade, it's just numerous times that the market's fallen 5%. Right. But if you know where you stand over time and how you're growing and saving, those things start to matter less and less. I agree. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that we always tell people, especially those that we're trying to help plan for retirement is yes, you're, you are at most risk when you are very close to your, you know, expected retirement date. We, we, that phrase, uh, the retirement red zone was made famous, I think, by a prudential ad campaign years ago, but it holds true. But for everybody else, if you if you have your time horizons correct, you know, the short term day to day movements in the market are largely inconsequential. You know, we encourage you just to stay the stay the course um, and, and and don't stress yourself out. You know, don't do the things that are going to create stressors for yourself. Um, that's the best way I could put it. But so we'll make sure the article gets put up there. It's a great read. He breaks it down with lots of charts and data. So if that's your thing, you'll enjoy it. But for everybody else, we just give you a, you know, encouragement, hang in there, continue to work your plan, continue to work on the things that we know we can't control and don't focus so much on the things that we can't control. So for those of you who join us, you know, we appreciate you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. As always, if you got a question, feel free to shoot us an email at uh, themoneyhuddle at vcplanning.com. And Ross, I'll let you just tell them. We'll talk to them next time, right? We'll see you soon. <laughs> All right.